True Crime Broads with Crystal and Renee. Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee. And we have a really cool episode coming your way today. We have a fantastic guest coming on. And But before we get started with that, we wanted to do what we normally do and read you a review. You got anything else you want to say, Renee, before I get into this? No. All right. So we have a review. Um, I'm sorry, I had it pulled up and my phone freaked out. Okay, here we go. It's from Bill Jenkins. And this one's a little bit older review because this is a relatively new feature of our podcast. And so I'm kind of going back and grabbing older ones now Mm -hmm. that we had missed because we didn't used to do this. Um, Bill Jenkins wrote, some other podcasts don't cover this case as well. And being from Midlothian and living in Midlothian, still I have always been wondering what is going on with this case. Hopefully they catch this guy or girl soon. And of course he's talking about the Missy Beavers case because at that point in time that's all we had covered. Right. So Bill Jenkins, thank you so much for your review. I'm sorry it took us a long time to read it, but thank you so much for leaving us such a nice review. That's awesome. I hope people continue doing that. Yes, and if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, only if you think we deserve it. Now, if you don't like us, we would just appreciate it if you'd stop listening to us and don't <laughs> leave us a bad review because that's just not helpful to anyone. So um, We did have an episode recently that accidentally went like from the very beginning, and it moves itself forward, remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, like it was a new episode. <laughs> yeah. So if you listen to that, just know that was the very, very first episode we'd ever done, and we've moved and changed and gotten better so much. So Well, we're, we're in a professional studio now. We didn't right. have the budget for that in the beginning. So we have made a teeny tiny amount of money on that Anchor ad, and every penny of that goes to pay for our studio space. So we thank you for listening because the more you listen, the more a few pennies goes into the bucket each time you guys listen. And we get a little tiny check from Anchor, and we convert that directly to the studio. Plus, we have some people that uh, donate, too, as yes. well to, for studio time, which helps because yes. we were recently out of money. <laughs> yeah, we had some some donations come in which was so nice because you know it covers our space our studio time and we really want to keep coming to you from a studio as much as possible so much better it's easier too well today's show is about the michael chambers case and those of you who are local have heard of it but it's even it's kind of like the missy beavers case it crept into the national Mm -hmm. news as well and michael glenn chambers he went. He disappeared from Hunt County, which is in the DFW area. Mm-hmm. It's in a more rural area. Um, he lives kind of right outside the city limits of Quinlan, and this is in Hunt County. Michael Chambers was 70 years old. He was married to a lady named Rebecca since 1980. He had a previous marriage that was sort of brief, mm-hmm. and they had two children. And then in his second marriage, he and Becca, Rebecca went by Becca, they adopted two sons and they lived a seemingly on the surface, very happy life out there in the rural area in the Southern part of Hunt County. And this is in Texas. And that is about five miles west of Lake Tawakany. I grew up going to Lake Tawakany. I was telling you on the phone Mm -hmm. that my best friend, when we were little, her parents had a lake house there and it's a nice, nice area. And I've heard different um, quotes about the population size at the time of the murder. Oh, I said murder. Sorry. I meant disappearance of um, Michael Chambers. Yeah, we don't know what happened to him yet. <laughs> We're hoping he's still alive somewhere. But, you right. know, the more time that passes, we know that's probably not accurate. But I have heard that the population is somewhere between 1,400 and 1,700. So Quinlan's a small town. Right. And... um So we're not going to get too deep into the details because those are the basics. Our guest is going to take us through all the fantastic details that he has because guess why he has all the details. He is the private investigator, actually, that has worked on this case and is currently working this case. So we are extremely grateful that he has decided to come with us and share just all the wonderful research that he and his compadres have done yeah we we obviously wanted to cover other cases uh, we've covered cases that have been in ellis county we've covered some that have been out uh, we plan on doing other ones as well it, it can even be out of state but this particular one as she said happened in quinlan uh, which is hunt county um, but the family does have ties to ellis county so that makes it interesting i've seen some posts from his daughter when this happened um, and I was thinking to myself, that's weird. She's, she's in Ellis County. So mm. that there is a tie there to Ellis County. So, um, 
we're, we're very happy to do this case and hopefully, you know, help people learn about it and keep it moving forward. And the man who is about to join us is Philip Klein, and he is with Klein Investigations. And there, I just wanted to mention there is a reward of $25,000 for specific information that leads to Michael Glenn Chambers' whereabouts. All right, without further ado, enjoy the interview with Philip Klein. Thank you all for joining us. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining us at True Crime Broads. We have a fantastic guest today. Renee, do you want to introduce him? Absolutely. This is Philip Klein with Klein Investigations. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi, good morning. We're so excited to have you on. You know, this Michael Chambers case is just such a conundrum, and it's plagued the Metroplex for so many years now. Thank you for coming on and helping us understand it a little bit better. Sure, sure. Hope I can answer some questions. Absolutely. So to give a little background on Michael Chambers, um, he went missing from his home in Quillen, Texas on March 10th, 2017. Um, his wife called um, and reported him missing, I guess, after quite a while later that evening. And um, he hasn't been seen since. What can you tell us about this? Well, it's a pretty cut and dried case. Um, when we became involved in it, uh, there were many questions uh, regarding some of the forensics. Uh, in the case. So let's just step all the way back. It was a, uh, it was a Friday afternoon. Um, Mr. Chambers did what Mr. Chambers does. He was a retired Dallas firefighter. So he built a big garage next to his house. And he had, uh, after he built this garage, he made it into kind of his workbench, his work area. He restored cars. He stored lots of uh, things for friends um, and he had a little bit of a side business going, nothing big, just just a little repair side business. Um, and so the last time anybody sees Mr. Chambers is on camera at the Walmart store buying makeup and a few other little essentials uh, at the Walmart store. Now, the Walmart store in, um, in, in the layout is basically about seven miles from his house. So you have to go through the back roads. Um, of that area. Um, he got to the Walmart store. He bought it. We see him going out. No one's following him. And the next bit of event that happened was Mrs. Chambers, his wife, comes home. Um, she gets out of her car. Um, she um, goes uh, into the house, can't find him. Uh, her testimony kind of conflicts at that point a little bit. Uh, and then from there, she walks next door to um, some family members um, that live next door to her, who happens to be an ex-chief of police. Um, and then he um, says, well, you know, why are you coming over here talking to us? I mean, you know, did you look around the property? No. Would you go with me? That's kind of strange. Interesting. So they head off back over to the property and they come to the, the big, um, it's kind of like a I call it a barn dominium, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the dominium in it. It doesn't have sleeping <laughs> facilities. Uh, he has uh, some cars stored in there. So they open the door and they walk about five feet in the door. And sure enough, there's two circular patterns of blood on the floor. Um, they look around a little bit more. They find a bicycle is missing, a bicycle. Uh, an old bicycle, a bicycle that probably was built back in the 70s. Um, there was one that matched it that was that was in the building. Uh, it had uh, rusted the chain. Um, the two um, uh, the two tires were flat on the. Uh, I'm talking about the mark, the matching one. Mm -hmm. So once we. Um, you know, they walk around, they get that, they decide, oh my gosh, we better call the police. So they call the police and the, and the sheriff at the time uh, sends out two deputy sheriff's units. They questioned her, obviously, at first. They look at the blood on the floor. They say, well, that's not enough blood to, for somebody to have died from. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, they, they start the man, I want to say manhunt, the hunt for, for him in the area, thinking, well, maybe he had hit his head, maybe he had wandered off. So by middle of the evening, I'd say about 
eight, nine, 10 o'clock, somewhere in there. Um, they have a helicopter in the air. They have a DPS helicopter in the air. They have a, uh, a search and rescue team on the ground. They have some dogs uh, and the dogs uh, can't pick up a scent. I mean, they just, they can't. There's no scent to pick up apparently. Um, and so um, they call the search off about three o'clock in the morning. Now, remember that area around the Greenville area, that, that has a tremendous amount of water. There's a big lake right there, right behind their home. And I say right behind their home, you have to go through some wooded area. Their property sat on approximately 2.5 acres. Um, there's a, across the street is a huge subdivision uh, that backs up to Lake, T and I can never pronounce this right. Yeah, Lake Tawakini. I grew up going Tawakini. there. I don't know, it's something know, with yeah. me. I just can't pronounce that name, Tawakini. So they uh, look at Lake Tawakini. So the next morning, the detectives are brought in. Um, they bring in a uh, white hat, uh, being, a, being, a, uh, uh, being a specialized officer from the Texas Department of Public Safety, Texas Rangers Division. Uh, he brings in another female ranger. Um, and so they start analyzing his last 24 hours. That analyzation finds that, in fact, he did go to Walmart. In fact, he did buy beauty products that his, uh, his, um, his widow now says that, uh, well, I told him to go buy it. Uh, called him on the phone. They grab his cell phone, obviously, and try to do some triangulation and some tracking. The big thing that they come up with is, is that the cell phone is shown leaving his house at approximately 5.15 in the afternoon uh, and going down um, uh, one of the farmed markets, going by the Walmart store, going from the Walmart store uh, to another farm market, taking a left in a large bridge that goes over like uh, to... Say that again. Tawakany. Tawakany. <laughs> there you go. God, I don't know. So it goes over Tawakany and then the cell signal dies. Is that the two mile bridge? Uh, they call it the two mile bridge. Okay. Yes. But that's two miles on that side. You got to go seven on one. You got to go two more. So that's nine. Then oh. you can now you have it 11 miles. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. And so the, the suggestion is, and oh, and then they search the building and they ask her what's missing. And she says, well, this is the, this is the widow. She says, Oh my gosh, look up there. There's a bicycle missing. Yeah. And it was supposedly hanging on the wall. Above. Exactly. Right. Wow. So a bicycle that was hanging on the wall is missing. And then the other, the sister bicycle that was right there, they say, well, what does the bike look like? And she goes, well, it looks like that one. We used to ride bikes together. Now, you know, everybody just kind of shakes their head for a minute and goes, what the heck, what the hell? So what happens next is um, the strange part is where they get the forensics from the cell phone and the analysis and the, and, and the cell phone says it was moving approximately 4.5 miles per hour. That's my question. I was about to ask. So the first theory that comes up in the case is, well, he rode his bike, he rode it over to Two Mile Bridge on the other side. That means a total of 11 miles. Now you do the math, 11 miles at 4.5 miles per hour. Basically three hours. Basically three hours. In that three hour time period, he went over and he got on top of the bridge, which you've had heavy construction on it at the time. And he got up on top of the bridge. He threw the cell phone in the water. He threw the bike on the water or attached the bike to himself and jumped in and committed suicide. That's the first theory. Mm -hmm. That's when they called us in. And we went, yeah, I don't know about that. That, that doesn't make sense. First of all, these farm to markets don't have any type, any type whatsoever of bike paths, other than near the Walmart. So the, going to the two mile bridge from the intersection where all the fast food restaurants are, where people are coming in and out. And I mean, it's a very busy area. No witnesses saw him come through on his little bicycle. 
And he would have had to have been um, on the actual road where the cars drive. Absolutely. Yeah. He would have been on the FM. That would have been horrible. So, I mean, somebody would have seen him or said, no, I almost hit that guy. Right. He was coming across the direction. Or he said, we have no witnesses, zero, donut hole. We've canvassed. We've asked. We've gone back and looked at videotape. We, we've, we've done it all. He didn't come through there. And that's a strange rate of speed. Obviously, it's too fast for walking. It's way too slow for driving a car. Yeah. So yeah. they well, that's why we think the, that's why we think some of the the only idea we can come up with is the fact that um, the fact that uh, the, um, uh, the, the he was probably the analytics were bad. Let's just put it straight up. The analytics were bad. Okay. So we've had to go back and we've had to go back and look at the analytics and we're still kind of doing that, but analytics don't match the speed that they gave us. Just, okay. I was going to say like, what was the starting time and what was the ending time and did it, it did it make sense? So that's kind of what you're saying. It did not even come close to okay. making sense. Was and it a longer period of time? Off, you know, it's, it's just one of those things back then it was new technology, right? Okay. The, Right. was a new technology. I, 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 I tell all of my clients and I'll tell the general public here, one of the things you need to do when you get into the analytics of a cell phone and understand the technology that's being used on that particular cell phone. Remember, they call it triangulation for a reason. Mm-hmm. What they, If you look at any cell phone tower now, you'll notice it's, it's in a triangle, mm-hmm. okay? There are uh, points, three points to every cell phone tower. And it can actually track you on the cell phone tower, which way you're moving, how fast you're going, and which way you're going. And they put it on maps, and we can see where you are on a map. In this case, they didn't have the actual cell phone triangulation. We had to go off of, uh, I think it was at that time, it was like 3G technology. And they they didn't have the technology that we have today. So... We went back and we did some analysis of the blood spatter pattern. We did some analysis of the story that his widow told police. Um, and we did a lot of the gumshoe work. We went back and just redid the whole case is basically what we did, who her relationships are, who his relationships were, et cetera. Well, lo and behold, in the middle of the thing, we find that his wife has a paramour that she's been seeing. Mm, okay. And remember, when investigators question you, they already know the answers to the question. That's why they're coming to you. Right. And we're checking to see if you're going to lie or you're going to withhold or you're going to forget. You know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and we can we can we can tell. Right. So when we got back to the home, we did redid remeasurements. We searched the home. We discovered that she was having a relationship with a man in town. And not only was this the first relationship, this was about the third or fourth relationship that we came up with. That even her family admits, yeah, she she was having affairs on him and he kept take, taking her back and etc. So we went through first the contents of his truck. We found out in the contents of his truck, there was money in the truck, uh, there was ID in the truck, keys in the truck. So we knew it wasn't a robbery or a car theft. Then we went back through the contents of the building and inside the building, he had a safe. And inside that safe, he had 40, roughly $40,000. That $40,000 was still in the safe when the police got it open. So we knew that wasn't a robbery. So we knew that it had to be someone he knew or somebody that he had a relationship with. Okay. There, because when you don't have a robbery and you don't have a forced arm robbery, then you have somebody, you know, right. So we went back and looked at the blood spatter patterns again. And then we went back through the inventory and we asked our client, what is possibly missing in here? What's possibly missing in this building? She said, obviously, the bicycle, right? Because there was the rack and there was the dust and everything else. But interestingly enough, we discovered that there was a tarp missing, covering up one of his cars he was working on. Now, how do we know that? Well, we had pictures of he had taken or one of his family members had taken of him working on this car. And it had a tarp over the front. It was regular one of those regular blue tarps. Mm -hmm. 
that you uh, you know you cover things up with, right? right. He like he didn't like dust in his car, or, or uh, you know that they were working on I think an axle, so that spits off a lot of you know bad stuff from the axle steel and the steel hot steel frame. So um, we asked our client, "Did you ever see this tarp?" And she said, "Yes, I've seen that tarp, but I didn't realize it was missing." So now we got a missing tarp, two blood spatter patterns. And so now we're moving down the road a little bit. So um, we went and talked first. Uh, we interviewed a bunch of people on, in, in town and they were telling us, yeah, she's kind of the town girl, you know, um, and uh, she does go out and she does have relationships with other people. And, you know, they have kind of an agreement. Well, we went back to our clients. Is there such a thing as an agreement? She says, no, there's there's not to my knowledge, my daddy wouldn't do that. Uh, he, threatened, <laughs> he threatened to leave her before. Mm. So that brings us to the tarp. So we go back, we measure the tarp. Sure enough, it's an eight foot tarp. He's a big boy, six foot five, six foot six. He was an engineer on one of the fire trucks in Dallas, Fort Worth. That's a hard job. You got to pull hose, you got to hook hose up. You got, I mean, it's a tough job. So he's a tough boy. He's a big boy too. So um, we don't have a tarp. We have two blood spatter patterns. And so as we're looking at these patterns, I decide to send it off to a forensic center, both in Travis County and in Harris County. They look at it and they said, that looks like a dog walk pattern. And we said, okay, now for the public that doesn't know what a dog walk pattern is, when you have somebody that's hit in the head, Okay, ask any paramedic, any firefighter, any ME, they'll tell you that and that person is unconscious. When you lift somebody, you lift them from their arms and their legs that disperses the weight other than the buttocks area, which is a very heavy portion of the body. But what's more heavy than the body, in, and I'm talking from the pelvic area up to the shoulder blades, is the head. People don't really realize how heavy your head is. Um, and so the head falls back like this, and then it go when they're when you're walking, you're taking steps left, right, left, right. The head does this, right, and it kind of spins around a little bit. And anybody that's been involved in homicide, and I've been for 38 years involved in homicide cases, I can tell you that this head was spinning, and I say spinning, that's probably too much of a word. Um, uh, kind of moving itself around in the dog walk pattern. And so we re recreated the dog walk pattern oh. and exactly what we got. So what we think was whoever the homicide, per the, the killer is, um, had an opportunity, okay, to hit the person uh, and then um, put the person on a, uh, on a tarp, wrap the tarp up and then use a truck to move the body. So that's what we believe happened. Now, we believe that on the forensics evidence, okay? We don't have the evidence that a truck moved the body or her car moved the body. Well, yeah, we do have that. We looked in her car. They did a complete search of the inside of her car. There was no blood, no pattern, anything like that. What we believe happened at the scene was, is that he, it was somebody he knew, which was most likely his wife. Uh, he got hit once went to his knees, fell backwards, and got hit twice in the head. And then he was knocked unconscious. Now, we went to interview the current boyfriend who she was messing around with. We got there. How you doing? Tell us a little bit about him. You guys went off on a trip. Of, uh, a, I think it was a cruise together. Tell us about the cruise. Oh, it was a good time. We did this. We did that. You know, we're real close friends to them. Oh, everything's great. But Again, we know the answers to a lot of the questions we're asking, asking, and we caught him in about three lies. And I told wow. him on the porch of his house, I said, let me tell you something. You're lying to me. I know you're lying to me. I've got the physical evidence. I've got the backup to the questions I'm asking you. Why are you lying to me? And he kind of looked at me and he said, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And I had a forensics, a forensics interviewer with me. And she started talking to him and she told him, hey, look, um, you know, 
let me throw this at you. And then that's when we finally broke him down. His wife came outside, slammed the door because she knew, she knew. Uh, not that he killed him. Not I don't think that that he killed him, but that they had been having a relationship. Mm-hmm. He broke down and said, "Yeah, that they had had a relationship. Yeah, that he had been on the phone with her at zero six thirty in the morning, ap- in the morning after he was missing." Right? Wow, that's early. And that they had. Well, yeah. I mean, it was real early. And that they had been on the phone that day. We asked him. I said, "Well, did did, did you talk to his wife that day?" Oh, no, I hadn't talked to her. I haven't talked to her in six months. (laughs) Well, then it comes out, well, that's not true. Let me show you the phone records. Right. Showed him the phone records and he about fell out. Wow. And I I said, now, listen, I said, I don't want you to get involved in something maybe you're innocent in, but you got to start telling us the truth. So he coughs up the truth. He tells us, yeah, I talked to her. Both of their phones, interestingly enough, this is a great thing. Most of their phones between the time the disappearance starts about, you know, again, we have it down to about four hours Mm -hmm. um, between about 3.45 to when everybody's phone starts popping back up on the air. Uh, All Both of their phones, everybody else's phones is awake and being used and calling back and forth, but their phones, both of their phones go to sleep, go off the air at approximately 3.45 in the afternoon. And they come back what time? 3.45 in the afternoon. They go offline. When do they They, come back on? They come back on roughly just before 8. So we're just kind of like, why'd you turn your phone off? I didn't turn my phone off. I just didn't use it. (laughs) Well... Anybody who's smart, you know what your cell do you do you know what your cell phone is really? It's it's really a fancy walkie-talkie. Yeah. Is GPS. Open your walkie-talkie. Right. Yeah. That's why Zelo and some of those other apps are so good because they have, you know, that's what the fire departments are all gone to. That's what the police departments have all gone to. And EMS is slowly but surely getting onto the 900 system, which is the cell phone system. Right. 5G, right? And so you can talk. I can talk on my Zelo here and talk to my staff way back in Texas. I could talk with with my staff back in Texas and they can we can have that conversation. So um, anyway, so to make a long story short, we knew we had one liar. And then by the time we got to his wife, uh, the decedent's wife, uh, knocked on the door and she said she had lawyered up. And she wasn't going to talk. Wow. And so that's where we are now. Where and, and, and there's a lot in between here and there that I can answer your questions on. Uh, okay. There's you know, three, four years worth of evidence and, and actions. There might be something I can't tell you about. We have a great working relationship. I want to say this. We have a great working relationship with Hunt County. They awesome. are. That's honest. fantastic. Yeah. These guys are. Let me tell you something. This, this sheriff up there that replaced the other sheriff when this happened. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. He's on it. Oh, that's he's awesome. One on Good. and he's assigned specialized people to it. Um, uh, one of our investigators works directly with one of them. They share information all the time. We have a, we have a file sharing system that we, we share our files with them. Again, remember it's important for the, the public to remember they don't necessarily share their files with us, but they do verify what we have, which is, yeah, you're on the right road. We're there too. Or we share it with them. They go, holy crap, how did you get that? And we're going, don't worry about it. It's just true. Here's the backup on it. There you go. I just have to say this one little quick thing. Um, sure. This is out there to um, police departments that don't do this type of uh, working with other agencies and things like this. This is the way it should be. It should be every day of the week. We could solve missing person cases so fast. And I'm telling you folks fast. Right. I agree. If we could just get teamwork because the, the poor police officers, and I say poor police officers, they're not poor police officers, but they're overworked. Right. They need more help. Right. Do they have better technology than we have? They used to. Now we're up with them. Um, but these guys, you know, this isn't the only case they're working on their desk. Right. And just get a police scanner and listen to the calls that go out. All those calls are assigned to detectives. Right. And 
Detectives have mounds of paperwork on their desk, and they're only allowed to work 40 hours a week. So you can assume, like us in the private sector, my guys are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Right. Doing double the work, uh, unless it's a high profile case, like a mayor's daughter is kidnapped or you know, maybe it's an attack on a congressman or something like that. That's when they spin up into high gear. So there you go. I have a question. Why is Hunt County Sheriff's Office in charge of this investigation and not Quinlan PD? So that's a good question. Uh, Hunt County uh, took control of it because the actual location where the residence is, is in Hunt County. It's not in Quinlan. Okay, it's outside the city limits. Out there, everybody says, oh, Quinlan this, Quinlan that. No, 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 no. Okay, thank you. I always wondered that. Hunt County since day one. And thank God. I mean, thank God. Thank God. Absolutely. Be having the cooperation because small city police departments look at us and say, oh, yeah, you're just a PI. And you go, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But it's amazing that when they get out of the law enforcement, the first thing they do is apply for a private investigator's license. (laughs) I know. It's funny, isn't it? (laughs) And then all of a sudden they go out in in the PI world and they figure out, holy crap, you guys really are treated like crap by some law enforcement agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, can you true. reveal the name of the boyfriend? I'm not. I, I not. didn't figure you would, but I just thought I'd ask. Well, you know, yeah, I've, I've, you know, and the re- there's a reason. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a firm believer in everybody's uh, innocent until proven guilty. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the police want to release it, they can. Right. Uh, but uh, he's in a whole world of hurt, and he just doesn't know it. Right. Got I've it. seen pictures of him, and he's a big boy. Yes. So it would help explain how someone could move Michael Chambers from point A to point B. Oh, yeah. You you know, she she had to have help because he's too big for just one person. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Which means that if we all can prove our case against her and him, then we have premeditation, which in Texas means you're going to get the needle. Mm, That's right. That's absolutely right. I have a question about the Walmart trip. His wife sent him to Walmart that morning to get her some mascara. Was that a normal thing that she would have him do? The reason I ask is it just sounds a little peculiar because, I mean, I just think the amount, not that my husband's not intelligent. He's extremely intelligent, but he doesn't know mascara, and there's different brands, and there's different (laughs) colors, and there's, there's thick, and there's curly, and there's so many different things you have to look out for. By the time I went over all that with him and texted him all the nuances, I could have just gotten it myself. Yeah, exactly. I was well, going to say the same uh, thing. Well, yes, it's a good question, and let me answer it for you. No. It was not normal? Okay. Stuff for her before. Right. Okay. Interesting. It almost makes you wonder. Now, I'm just throwing this out there, of course. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but it makes you wonder if she just was trying to get him out of the house so perhaps they could prep. Yep. Interesting. That's just, you know. Of course, yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know that it was a prep because it was 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon when that happened. Uh, but um, do I believe that um, she was saying, hey, go over here while I'm over here? Yeah, I believe that was. Right. Yeah, interesting. Her. Well, tell us about um, Becca and her job. Was she confirmed to be at work while he when he was uh, supposedly disappeared or how did that so we do not have any confirmations. We do have a systematic pattern where we believe that she was going. She, what she told her employer and what we discovered was two different things. First, second, um, her cell phone was turned off. Like I said, between point A and point B, mm-hmm. so nobody was tracking her. Nobody knew where she was or where, you know. And there was nobody at her work that was calling going, hello, are you going to go take care of uh, Mr. Jones over here? Or? Nope. Wow. Interesting. Nope. That's I have a question about. I'm not really permitted to talk about the cover story, but there was a cover story. Oh, gotcha. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. And I have a question about um, the the part of the lake where the police were theorizing that he would have jumped in. Um, mm-hmm. I understand that there was all kinds of diving and EquiSearch came out and helped. Is that correct? And That is true. Um, I also read, and this could be incorrect, so please correct me if this article was wrong, but they were saying that there was a lot of. It was just murky there, um, low visibility. There was tons of concrete and stuff underwater from when they built the bridge. Was that well, true? Well, that is true, but I want to tell you that divers with a purpose, I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys, two really great guys that get out there and 
spend their own money to go find cars and in, in, in water. And that's what they're famous for is finding cars in water. Um, and they find these bodies. That's where they found that young lady in that car out there at the oh, same, yeah. at the same near location, right. not same location, but near, I mean, I'm talking at the other end of the bridge. Um, and so they, they do spectacular work. I talked to him on the phone. He wanted to know if he wanted me to go down the, the, uh, uh, the bridge a little bit. Um, and we told him, yeah, you can. Uh, but, and I gave him my background and the theory and what we have. And he said, oh no, that sounds just like we said, sounds like they wrapped him up in a tarp, took him somewhere and threw him in the water. Remember back then the theory was he jumped off the bridge and, you know, from the top of the bridge to the water is maybe five feet. It'd be like jumping off a diving board. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, nobody's going to die. That. Oh, well, then he recording in progress. Then 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 if it's not, then if it's not. If he jumps off the bridge, how's he going to drown? He, for God's sake, he's a firefighter right. and he deals with water all the time. He's dove into swimming pools. I mean, you know, come on. It's not him. Um, then they theorized from there that, oh, well, he chained himself onto his bicycle and his bicycle brought him to the bottom. <laughs> We're like, what? Yeah, that's crazy. Where'd you come up with the, where, where'd he get the lock? <laughs> wow. That's not even on inventory at the crime scene. Wow. So it's kind of one of those where you just, it's a cold case. Um, but I think it's what they call a discoverable cold case. Um, and I think my, my indications are, that uh, he is at a, at a secondary location, which we'll announce today that uh, we are bringing in Texas EquiSearch again, Tim Miller and his team. Uh, we, um, we, have, uh, we have, as well as the Hunt County Sheriff's Department has brought in dogs. Uh, we have an area of interest to us down there. It is very dangerous. There are a lot of snakes. There are a lot of wild hogs. Uh, when I brought my team down there, I had to open fire on a wild hog that kind of oh snuck up gosh. on us. Um, so, I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, we as investigators all the time, we try to tell people, you know, look, you know, we have a dangerous job, just like the police have a dangerous job. But when we all work together, you know, we can set up a perimeter. We can get professionals from Parks and Wildlife in there to kind of watch us for alligators and all that other stuff. Right. We believe that his body's wrapped up and is in a slough uh, just near his house. So we're going to, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go discover those sloughs that we've already, we've laid them out, pinpoint them out. Uh, we're going to go down there with the sheriff's department. Uh, we're going to rope it off as a crime scene and we're going to let uh, Tim and his team do their jobs. So we have an area, a location of interest. Um, we, uh, uh, we're not 100%. That's why we're going down in there with the equipment. We're going down there. He has a great new side sonar system <laughs> that he uses. And so we'll go down there with the side sonar system and take and a look. That's happening that's awesome. when? I'm sorry? That's happening when? We're not going to announce it to oh, the public. Oh, okay. No, okay. I thought you said, I'm sorry. Gotcha. No, it's coming up. Okay. We're not going to announce it to the public. I understand. Now, back toward the beginning of the investigation, back when Meeks was still there, he said that Chambers suffered from severe depression for about three weeks. That just no. seems strangely specific. No. And, and I mean, where did he get that information? You know what? I don't know where he got that information. We asked the same question. Well, who's saying that? We could never get, you know, it, it all goes back to Rebecca, uh, mm -hmm. Becca, excuse me. It all goes back to Becca. And, and Becca's putting these stories out. And we're like, why would you say that? His daughter, uh, his son, all these people that had seen him in the last three weeks, he's a normal, everyday guy. Mm -hmm. That's the first question we asked him. Yeah. Now, I, I know I read somewhere that, um, Becca had Michael declared dead pretty quickly on. Can you tell us about that? Because I find that strange. You know, I live in the state of Texas and working with both civil and criminal law enforcement officers and me being a civil investigator and being a commissioned personal protection officer in Texas. You know, you have to study a thing called the criminal rules of, of procedure, Texas criminal rules of procedure. Mm -hmm. 
inside the criminal rules of procedure and the Texas Civil Code of Procedure, um, there's a section that applies to declaring someone dead uh, if they're missing. Somehow, some way, she knew someone and they got a declaration of death within the first two months. I don't, I've never heard of that before. I don't think that's legal. Uh, I've had lawyers look into the statute. We've looked into some case law. We've looked into some appellate law. Uh, There's no, I mean, if anybody were to have ever challenged it, it would go down in the books as either being an A or an A. I don't know this, this former justice of the peace that did it. It was done in the cloak of darkness. It was, it was done behind the scenes. She got a piece of paper so she could quote pay bills, but there are exclusionaries under the law that you can do that uh, without uh, filing anything. I mean, credit card companies will go, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, We're a spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Here's our contact number. Bankers will go, God bless you. Where can we donate to the search fund? Right, right. I mean, that's what happens. But for, for someone to get so aggressive two days after their person goes missing, well, how am I going to pay bills? What am I going to do? Well, you're getting paid. You get a paycheck. Yeah, you, get, you get money coming to your account. So, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those where you go, what are you doing? What's the normal time frame? Seven years. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's the law. That is bizarre. Bizarre beyond belief. It really is. Okay. Yeah. I've never had a case like this. I've never had, I mean, it it seems like to me, my firm picks up the cases that are the worst of the worst (laughs) and that that you've got some kind of hidden, hidden, I want to say public corruption, something that's behind it. Right. That's holding this case up. I mean, we've, we've found since 1992, I don't even know the number now, how many we found or brought built people back or found fugitives or, you know, whatever they assign us to. I, I, I don't, I shake my head and I'm wondering what, what why are you people, why, why are you people deeming this normal when it's abnormal? Absolutely. Right. Interesting. Yeah. We have a case. It's a conundrum here that we primarily cover. It's the Missy Beavers case. I've heard of that case. Yeah, it's a conundrum. (laughs) Yeah, it's a conundrum. I've heard from what I've heard. And again, I don't know anything. I'm just a blind man looking at the case in the book. But, um, you know, from what I've heard, you guys have a very serious case up there. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds solvable. Um, I had I did have somebody reach out to us from your group, but they never called us back. Okay. Um, So, you know, I don't know. We'll uh, We'll we'll have to meet about that <laughs> right right. yeah we have a lot of people that are wanting to donate to getting an investigator working on it so yeah, yeah we might make that our next fundraiser that would be great <laughs> so um we'd love to do it i know that um they mentioned um a friend becca had called one of her friends um i guess before she called police correct that is correct and i found that story interesting can you elaborate on it you know i <laughs> I, I, I have a smoky feeling that we're going in front of grand jury, so I don't uh, want to say yeah. anything that would impugn that testimony. Gotcha. But what I will say, um, in my mind, looking at the evidence uh, and the phone call and the person she made the phone call to and what the per- what sh- what was told to police vis-a-vis what this nice lady said to all the investigators, uh, that story doesn't match. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. I love hearing the words grand jury. I so know. all the best to you guys and the, you know, into Hunt Thank County you. Sheriff's office. And if anyone out there has any tips, please contact Hunt County Sheriff's office, 903-453-6809. You can submit an app on their crime stoppers, Facebook page, Hunt County crime stoppers, or you can go to huntcountycrimestoppers.com. And, um, we well, really- let me say this again to the public. A lot of people are scared to call the police. They oh, don't yeah. want to call. They don't want their name in. They don't, you know, that sort of thing. Hunt County 
is doing a great job on this case. I don't live in Hunt County, so I don't know what the day-to-day is, mm-hmm. but I keep up with the sheriff and I keep up with the investigators and they, they're doing a great job all through Hunt County. So I don't know that it'd be that bad, but let me say this to everybody in the public. If you don't want to call the police and you want to call someone that will truly keep your name anonymous, because that's what we do, you can call our office at area code 409 729 8798 and just push extension 107. Now, the reason we have 107 set up in our office is, is that it is a, it has a DNS system on it that blocks all IPs and blocks uh, numbers so that even our investigators in the office don't know who we're talking to. Nice. Unless they want to say it. Well, I got to make, you know, we, we as investigators, you know, we go to school, we work out in the field, we have team meetings. I mean, you know, we're, we're all pretty good. When you reach our size of our company and you reach the level that we have and the case level that we have, we have more experience than the typical private detective. Um, but what we also have is we have the knowledge that we cannot solve cases unless we have the public's trust. And so we have to build the public's trust. And if you'll note in some of the cases, like the Canadian Texas case, um, uh, little brown boy that we found that was, we told everybody he was deceased. We told everybody where he'd be out on Lake Marvin Road. Everybody laughed at us, including the attorney general's office. And guess what? That's where his body was, right where we said it'd be. And right out, you know, it's just, it's more stupidity. And then all of a sudden, you know, we got public corruption going on, cover-ups, shell casings inside of cars, it's not reported, uh, blood spatter in a car, you know, and then you start going, okay, guys, well, what do we get back? You didn't do the luminol test right. We didn't. DPS taught us. So is DPS doing it wrong? Are you willing to put all of their cases in jeopardy? Right. Uh, 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 then the, you know, it just, it's just, it's, it's, it's mindless. There are some police officers out there, just like there's some CPAs or some lawyers or whatever your profession is, their, their, their minds just aren't in their game and they don't like to be shown up. And we're not trying to show anybody up. We're just saying, Hey, this is what we got. So that's why we do this DNS system. You can call our offices. Nothing is tracked. My investigators cannot see the phone number it came from, nor the DNS that it comes from, because a lot of people are trying to be tricky these days and use Google phones and or a, phone, a phone number off of Google. And uh, yeah, that's not working because we can track your IP right down to your backyard. So right. it's all everything's traceable. Right. Even if you're using a DNS, you know, we can get to it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're too scared to call the cops, Call us. Look up client investigations. Just remember when you get through, the extension number is 107, and you will not have your identity identified to even my investigators. Now, That's if you want to awesome. call the number and hit 102 and talk to Taylor, and Taylor will get your name and number, and, and I'll return your call. I'm on the road right now. We'll be on the road till next week, uh, but I'll, I'll get to you. I promise you I will. Is there anything else about this case you would like to share with everyone that's listening? You know, all these cases I do, folks, it tears families up. Mm -hmm. These families deserve an answer. Let's give them an answer. Absolutely. As a community, let's get it together as a state, right? Yeah. And let's get together as a team, which we are with county. Right. I mean, I'm telling you, if we could get one person, she knows who she is, to pick up the phone and call, we'll pick her up, we'll put her in a room, we'll take her statement, and this case will be over very quickly. Um, but we, we can't for some reason. Maybe she's scared. Maybe she's not. We're sure she's probably told one or two other people. Maybe those people come forward and tell us what she said. Right. We have to have about four or five bits more information and then we can act. But, uh, you know, when we're, I I warn everybody when we're quiet, that usually means we're working pretty damn hard. So we're real quiet right now in this case. Good to hear. 
you can see the reason why. I've kind of released a little bit to the public that maybe I shouldn't have, but I think it's safe mm-hmm. at this point. And I think that we all have to work together as a team to try to, uh, to come together. That's absolutely the truth. I thought of one quick question about the blood sure. drops. Sorry, I, should, I, went, I meant to ask it earlier. The blood drops that were found in the garage in the barn area where he worked, and w- was that consistent with blood that would have been dropped that day, I'm assuming? Or was it older blood? Yes. Okay, so it was definitely fresh, and it would have been consistent. Oh, it was totally it, okay, fresh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I hadn't really heard anything about that. I've heard podcasters speculate, I guess it was fresh no, or no. else blah, blah, blah. So, okay. Very so it was fresh. fresh. Okay. No, 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 no. Very for, fresh. Thanks for clarifying the first that. theory that came out from law enforcement is, is somebody may have had two little jiggles of blood, you know, that they take in your arm, mm-hmm. and they had poured it. That's how distinct it was that it was poured into blood droplets but then when you really analyze the blood droplets you can see there's a pattern and you can see the direction the blood droplets are going so it was going towards uh, you know right where we said it was going all right and and one last question i have um i know that there was a um a dowel rod that was found uh can you Mm -hmm. elaborate on any anything about that Uh, it was a bloody dowel rod Mm -hmm. that was right next to the blood droplets Mm -hmm. um we believe that Dow rod was used and or something, but I really don't want to discuss it, but okay. it was used. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Philip. We've loved having you on. We'll probably sure, be thank back you. in touch. If I can help you guys in any way in the future on oh, these yeah. cases, let us know. Our, almost our entire podcast series is dedicated to the Missy Beavers case. So we'll circle back on that. Definitely. Sure. All right. Thanks sure. so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And have a good Thanks, trip. guys. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. Thank All you. Right. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Yeah.